comedian Grace Mulvey. And pop culture obsessive Neve King. Ask the question, what makes a great adaptation? We take a beloved book that has been made into a movie or TV show and do a deep dive into what the production got right or very wrong. From banger soundtracks to dodgy casting, we get into what it takes to make the jump from page to screen. Welcome to The Jump. We drank him. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Jump. Today we are celebrating The Jump Christmas Party and as you are listening, Grace and I are cheersing to the last episode of the season. Woo! I'm drinking. <laughs> we drinking. Some Prosecco's on the go, girls. Uh, today we are covering... One of the greatest works mm-hmm. of Christmas art, A Muppet's Christmas Carol. And yes. I'm very, very, very excited to get into it today. So we're obviously covering A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and A Muppet's Christmas Carol by, I don't know. <laughs> by the Muppets. Let me do <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's the Muppets. They did it themselves. <laughs> I'm asking the question: Is there any IP, intellectual property, that cannot be improved by a Muppet takeover? Everything can be improved <laughs> by a Muppet takeover. I want to see the good fellas, the Muppets. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see every film I love done by the Muppets. <laughs> okay, it makes life better. I want to say 100 percent up, up top. Muppets Christmas Carol, best Christmas. Best Christmas movie. Hands down. I watch it multiple times a year. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about it beforehand as well that I go to the Muppets Christmas Carol sing along in the Prince Charles Cinema off Leicester Square. Sing along. A sing along. Okay. It's amazing. It's so, so good. So it's a mix of people there with their kids in like great Christmas jumpers and outfits and 30 year olds drinking wine. God, it's like the 30-year-olds. We just need some sort of nostalgia because life's been so hard that we really don't want to go to anything. <laughs> and you go and like they get up on stage beforehand and they oh. do like a few cheers. So like every time like Kermit comes out, you have to like the audience shouts a thing. Every time Piggy comes out, the audience shouts a thing. And then obviously a big sing-along and it's so, so great. It's just like, I don't know, it's the epitome of Christmas this movie. Like it's just it really perfect. Is. And really I can't is. like... We'll get into it, but A Christmas Carol, being a ghost story of Christmas, which is the full title, really? is, yes, is the novella. No, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> I read it, I'm like, what? <laughs> is the novella by Charles Dickens. It is one of the most famous mm-hmm. Christmas stories, you know, I think of all time. It has been adapted, you know, staged thousands upon thousands of times since it was released in 1843 and still surpassed by The Muppet's Christmas Carol. <laughs> Charles Dickens is spinning in his grave. (laughs) He's like, you're telling me a puppet (laughs) made my story better. Made of felt? Felt? You're telling me a frog. (laughs) A frog plays one of my main characters. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, no, I, what's, what was so nice was um, kind of an excuse to read A Christmas Carol. Because let's be honest, some of these classics, you're never going to I'd read. I'd never read it. I'd never read it. Also, if you get to see the video, because um, we're, we're considering putting this up on YouTube, like the full video, but if you get to see the video, there's a beautiful book sitting in front of my <laughs> um, laptop. I was actually gifted this or loaned. Uh, the person would probably remind me it's loaned. Um, and it's a beautiful edition of Charles Dickens, all of his Christmas stories, which by the way, until we kind of did a bit of research, I didn't realise he was so famous for just doing Christmas stories every year. The guy was churning them Man out. He fucking loves Christmas. He loves mad a Christmas story. Christmas. He's mad for a Christmas story. He's like James Cameron with Avatar. He's like, I'm doing 10 of these. Um, but... It's a novella, so it's a very short story, which, but yeah. it's a lovely story to actually read. And it's kind of like, again, that bit of old English in it. I don't know. I just, when I was reading it, I'm reading it in this, like, almost this book where I, I felt like I was Ebony for Scrooge. I was like getting a quill out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was such a beautiful <laughs> read to have a nice big edition. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful edition of the book. And like, it was really nice to actually have a physical book instead yeah. of a Kindle for something like this. And I think it's the nerd in me, but because it's like a kind of classic story, Absolutely. it actually feels right to open up a book that like creaks. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very Victorian. Very Victorian. <laughs> I was there with a wedge of cheese and <laughs> in my velvet nightgown. <laughs> I read it like I do all of the books that I read for for the podcast. I read it on my phone. You might as well read it in a chip in your head. I do you know, know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, you're, you're totally right. But I did like to, to finish it. I went to, there's a lovely bar near my house and I went by myself and got a glass of wine. Oh, it's a really like old school, stop. like wooden. And I sat there and read it and it was, you're right, it was so lovely to read. It's a really fun read. Actually. It, it really is, yeah. It's, he's very funny. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about this Dickens guy, but uh, he's an up and comer. He's going to be big. <laughs> he's going to be big. I tell you something now. <laughs> this man has a future. <laughs> he doesn't, he's dead. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Didn't I actually... Read Dickie a, for short. Dickie for short. <laughs> yeah. Old Dick. Uh, had read some of his bits before. Never read a Christmas Carol. Um, dove into some research about him and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the myth of him being the man who invented Christmas. That's kind of what he's is known. He? It's kind of oh. known for... Uh, and the Christmas Carol in particular is known for popularising what we know Christmas to be you know, now and how, like, a modern Christmas, yeah. we say. Jesus must be turning in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> it's not been about him for a long <laughs> yeah, time yeah, now, yeah. I will say that. Um, so, really quickly, will I do a little recap, Grace, oh God, of please. A Christmas Carol? Love this. Now, when Grace does the book recaps, we were just talking about this. She is very prepared and she writes kind of a script. I go off, <laughs> off book. I go off memory. So I already apologise for how inaccurate it's going to be. I only read this very short book a few days ago and it's one of the most famous stories of all time and I'm going to butcher it. But A Christmas Carol is about Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm-hmm. A bit of a a miserable old chap living in... A miser. In, a miser, yeah. you would say, living in uh, Victorian England. Around the time of Christmas, he's more miserable than anyone on the street. <laughs> Already love that he didn't write this out. <laughs> he lives on a road, in a country, in a, on a planet. <laughs> so the book very famously begins with, um, you know, the quote that Marley was dead to begin with. Jacob Marley is uh, Ebenezer Scrooge's old business partner. He's died seven years previously. And in that time, Scrooge has continued to be the most miserable bastard London has ever known. So on the run up to Christmas or the day before he, we see a day in the life of Scrooge. He goes to work. Everyone's really afraid of him. He's mean to everyone. His, at one point while he's in work, his nephew comes in to visit. He's like, what are you doing for Christmas? Do you want to come over? Like, what are you at? And he's like, no, fuck off. Um, (laughs) 
and then like, oh, oh, uncle. <laughs> He's like, oh, you're crazy. Scrooge. Yeah. Um, so at the end of his day, he he leaves. He leaves his clerk unnamed at this point yep. we will know to be Bob Cratchit he's like alright you can take the day off tomorrow then if you're so obsessed with Christmas <laughs> Bob's take like, it off yeah. Bob's uh, like have you heard of socialism <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Scrooge's like no weekends and no days off <laughs> have you heard of a trade union <laughs> Mick Lynch is coming down the line at some point <laughs> Nick Lynch is a descendant of Bob Cratchit. <laughs> the only man who can make me feel more Christmassy than Charles Dickens is Mick Lynch. <laughs> this is a pro Mick Lynch podcast. Um, he's like, yeah, have you heard of Christmas? Um, can I have the day off? And he's like, oh, grand, okay. Um, so then he goes home and upon arriving on his doorstep, he finds that his knocker on his door is turned into like a ghostly apparition. Yeah. And he's a little bit afraid. So he goes in anyway and the house is all dark. Um, Scrooge likes the dark because it's cheap and he doesn't have to pay for lights and the fire and stuff. Yeah. So then he's sitting there and he's having, he's chilling out and then the ghost of Marley appears and he's all in chains and he looks terrifying and he's like um, Scrooge you have to change your ways you're going to end up like me and you know it's very miserable yeah. out here and then he like opens the window he's like look at all these miserable ghosts and that's going to be you that's the terrifying part the ghosts are just ro- roaming the streets the yeah. crucial part about the A Christmas Carol the book is very scary mm-hmm yeah. It's actually very, very scary. And like ghost stories at the time were very popular. Yeah. And like a lot of people were obviously would tell them at, at parties and yeah. stuff. And they loved a ghost story. So Christmas Carol being both Christmassy and scary yeah. says a lot for its popularity. So Jacob Marley the ghost is like, you're going to be visited by three spirits. And they're going to, over the course of the next few hours, they're going to show you the error of your ways. So um, a little while later... <laughs> I'm, I'm loving this. A little while later... Scrooge is awoken by the ghost of Christmas past and um, it's very hard to know what that ghost looks like uh, <laughs> a bit of an Edward Cullen description of this if anyone listened to our Twilight episode anytime Edward Cullen's described you get less of him yeah. and it's the same with this ghost of Christmas past at one point it's like oh his head is on fire and he had to put it out with a hat um, so he the ghost of Christmas which actually I'm, I don't want to misgender I think it's a they them the ghost mm. of Christmas past brings Scrooge to his past to see himself when he was at school mm-hmm. and we kind of get a little bit of a sense of maybe he didn't have the, the nicest childhood he yeah. seems very lonely and you know immediately we start to see a change in Scrooge during this time because he's like God I wish I was nicer to you know lonely kids and <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it shouldn't take a ghost to make you feel yeah, like that exactly. <laughs> but anyway he's like thinking back to instance from his days like oh I wish I'd given that little poor beggar boy a twopence or whatever yeah <laughs> um, we shouldn't kick people when they were down yeah yeah we're also introduced to in the book Scrooge's sister yes in this period um, which obviously I don't know how I never really copped this from watching a Muppets Christmas Carol that he has a nephew that surely yeah. he would have a sibling but it never occurred to me in the book we see a glimpse of the sister as a child and Scrooge clearly loves her yeah. like he's mad about his little sister which is very sweet and goes a little way to maybe giving us an idea of why he's so sad and miserable yeah. um, so then we see him a little while later he's into like his kind of maybe adolescence now mm-hmm. he's he's a clerk for a lawyer um and he's at a Christmas party. Yes. A big, a big Christmas party. <laughs> Christmas keeps coming up again and again. <laughs> There's some kind of recurring theme. <laughs> and, you know, they, he's at this big, like, he's at, a, he's at an office party, essentially, yeah, you yeah. know. And, and, the, and the we all lo- know what that goes, you're a few drinks in. <laughs> and the lawyer he works for is, I can only think of him as Fozzie Bear, and I know he has his own name. <laughs> 
But it is something, it's Fizzywig. Yes, the lawyer it's Fizzywig. Work, it's Fizzywig. Yeah, yeah. So we see Scrooge in his adolescence. He's working for the lawyer, Fizzywig. <laughs> and Fizzywig, every year, throws a big party for everyone on the street and everyone has a great time. Mm-hmm. And Scrooge is like, God, I wish I was nice to people. Genuinely, yeah. these are his thoughts. He's like, God, I wish I would throw a party. Um, Bob Cratchit being like, can I have a day off? <laughs> He's like, shut up, Bob. <laughs> then we see the final memory from his Christmas past is him, you know, being dumped. We all know that, like, yeah. you know, that, that scene. He's dumped. And crucially, the the reason that he is, you know, breaking up with his fiance, they're engaged. Yeah. And we see that his, his fiance is saying, like, you're so obsessed now with money and you know it's all you care about and it's all you can chase is money and you know I think it goes a long way in helping us understand why Scrooge is the way he is and he is the way he is because he's experienced poverty yeah. and he knows how horrible and how bad it can be and how much he doesn't want to be there again so you know it goes a long way to say why this life has come upon yeah. him essentially it's not it's, it's about a number of things about loneliness about you know isolation but also about poverty which I think is yeah. really important so Scrooge ends up back in his room and then he's visited again by the ghost of Christmas present <gasps> oh which is <laughs> which is a big giant ghost yeah. and he's like really charming and lovely this guy's a vibe he's yeah. a vibe and he is the spirit of Christmas which yeah. actually I twigged for the first time reading the book I was like oh I get it you're yeah. you sprinkle Christmas everywhere so then they just fly around and look at like a Victorian Christmas they go to loads of places they go to a lighthouse and the moors they're like yeah. everywhere I go it's Christmas and it's fantastic and then they go to Bob Cratchit's house and Scrooge realises even though Bob is poor he's happy <laughs> it just it's never occurred to him before that this could be possible he's like God, yeah. this is nice I'd actually love to come to dinner here then they fly over to Tiny Tim, by the way, makes a... Tiny Tim makes his first appearance. We meet Tiny Tim. He has a little crutch and um, Scrooge is like, oh, that poor boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look, we all know the story of a Christmas girl. <laughs> so then they fly over to uh, Scrooge's nephew and he's having obviously his own Christmas party and Scrooge goes through everyone's worst nightmare, which is he overhears people bitching about him and making fun of him and it is devastating and he's like, oh God, everyone hates me. I thought that I was actually quite well liked. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. And then off he he flies again and finally the final spirit comes for him Mm. and it's the ghost of Christmases yet to come and Scrooge discovers that he, if he doesn't change his ways, he will die alone and hated and people will steal the bedclothes (sighs) from under his his corpse yeah, because no one cares or respects him yeah so he's got that is, top quality bed clothes do you yeah, know what I mean exactly yeah, those yeah. curtains are they're not yeah. an inch of frost in yeah. so this is kind of the final nail in the coffin for Ebenezer Scrooge as we know him today and he becomes uh, you know he wakes man. up a changed man he is almost just like bereft of the thought that he's lost a Christmas but thankfully he realises the spirits did it all in one night and it's still Christmas and he throws open his window and he has that whole thing you know with the boy you know what, what day, what day is, is it, it? <laughs> etc see we all know it and <laughs> and then it's like you've got a gun to your head and you have to tell this story <laughs> You know, I'm, I fear that I'm actually telling the story of the Muppets and not the book. <laughs> no, you are. You're getting it. You're getting it. Getting it. And um, yeah, and then he goes, he goes all over the place and he buys people loads of stuff and he's like, oh, I'm actually really happy. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great. And he, he he knew he was the best at keeping Christmas, people would say. Yeah, for years to come. He was the best crack after that, I yeah, think, is what yeah, I yeah, yeah, He's yeah. actually turned out to be like a laugh then. An absolute laugh. And people really liked that. So that's the story of A Christmas Carol. The way... 
it came up, sorry if you didn't like my interpretation, <laughs> um, the way it came about, Charles Dickens, very interesting guy, very interesting childhood, as many people have noted, not that dissimilar to Scrooge in that it was very tumultuous childhood financially. Right. So he was born into a very kind of middle class family. They lost all their money because all of his family, like his father, his mother, his siblings ended up in debtor's prison, you know, no owing money. Way. So then he and himself, Charles Dickens, ended up in kind of a workhouse situation. He was incredibly intelligent, so was yeah. able to kind of bring himself out of that. I think he turned into basically the equivalent of like a court stenographer, but for Parliament. You know, he was just okay. like a very, he was, yeah. he was scrappy. Like, yeah. you know, he was able to get himself... Um, because social climbing wasn't really done, you know what I mean, in yeah. that period. So the fact that he could work his way out, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, is is amazing. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he wasn't like rocking up Instagram likes or anything. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like hoping for the best. Yeah. So he then, you know, just kind of built himself up a bit of a self-made man in the end. But he never really forgot, obviously, what his childhood was like mm-hmm. and what, you know, that feeling of poverty was like. And I think it ultimately gave him a great affinity for people who had nothing, yeah. you know, and that was always in the forefront of his mind. Um, he started writing short stories and novels. They became very popular very quickly. Charles Dickens was like world famous, which is really interesting. You yeah. know, there's stories of him going to America after he had published Oliver Twist and people like on the streets knew him. Like this That's is mad. like, it's mad. Yeah. It's something that you just like forget was possible. Yeah. You know, that someone could be, have that level of fame at that time. But like he was renowned around the world for for his works and his works are you know they're entertaining that's the thing is that they're really fun and funny and then have a lot to say and I think that's in a a way he was almost like the originator of that of being able to cater for all audiences in a way that said something um so he had just published Oliver Twist he was very successful in the UK and abroad and one Christmas he started thinking about writing actually a pamphlet to highlight you know the the needy of London he saw a lot of poverty in London a lot of homelessness people who had nothing and he wanted to bring attention to it and he was going to write like a very factual Mm. pamphlet which thankfully turned into the novella A Christmas Carol that is so mental how do you go from a pamphlet <laughs> He's like, you know, those pamphlet needs ghosts. <laughs> with some stats where he's like <laughs> one in three people will be haunted by a ghost tonight. <laughs> he's like, sure, I just don't think I'm doing this pamphlet right. None of, none of ghosts in this bad boy. And um, as we now know, A Christmas Carol is kind of renowned for capturing that very modern Christmas that was really just amassing in the UK in the Victorian era. This right. was the time that Christmas trees were becoming popular, like sending Christmas cards. Yeah. This is like gathering in people's homes for Christmas was the not a thing. The parlor games. The parlor games yeah. before this time. So this is really the beginning of what Christmas looks mm-hmm. like now around this time, which is really fascinating. I also kind of refer to it, and a lot of people do as well, as a little women Christmas. <laughs> yes. You know, it's yeah, not yeah, very yeah, classical, yeah. like decorated with like garlands and like orange slices and cranberry yeah. garlands and things like that. And uh, that really kind of gorgeous. And chestnuts on an chestnuts. open fire, which I still have never tasted <laughs> in my life. Um, yeah. uh, a really sumptuous Christmas. It was also a particularly cold Christmas over those few years that he was growing up. So right. another theory is that he popularised the idea of a white Christmas. Because right. for a few years, England had this unnatural cold snap where there was snow every Christmas. There was like ice skating, all of those things, which we actually don't see that no. much, but is so popular in our frame of mind. 
And then most importantly, this is the first time that we see a socialist approach to Christmas. Yes. You know, it was up until this point quite religious, which interestingly <laughs> at times is quite devoid of this idea of what do we owe our neighbours? Right. And that was such a popular idea in the Victorian era. And especially in London, you can still see the remnants of this socialist Victorian era now because a lot of infrastructure was built around that time. You know, things like Lido's are introduced. Amenities for people who don't have anything is introduced in the Victorian era in London. So it's very interesting that this all comes together in this like gorgeous ghost story, essentially this gorgeous novella uh, and has really had this huge impact on what people think Christmas is now or not what they think it is, what it is. Because it's so interesting that you say that because Ebenezer Scrooge kind of represents, I think, a lot of capitalism now. Like, as in like, Absolutely. this whole thing where he was like, why would I give you a day off? You're just scrounging my pockets here. Yeah. I'm not making any money off you today. Which, weirdly, now that we all accept we have weekends, which yeah. weekends were not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> we had to create them. <laughs> we had to go, there's two days here, we're going to make them a weekend. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, strikes. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> how, did you, how did you think we got this? Like, And so for someone even to have Christmas Day off, again, that's Bob Cratchit being like, but kind of people give us this day off. And he's like, well, why? Yeah. And that's the thing. That is a capitalist, mi- a pure capitalist mindset. Of, why yeah. would I give you that off? You're, I'm not making any money off you. And the whole thing is then like with the way I don't know that he looks upon it even when he's um, asked to give maybe some money for the poor he goes are there no poor houses or prisons? So why would I give money? If That's what my such, taxes are for. So it is so interesting that you have like these people coming in and they they are being like hey like we actually should all help each other out yeah. and what's the point of all this money if there's just so much misery everywhere and yeah. you are miserable? I think the whole point of it is he's miserable. Yeah. And it is that funny thing of like what wealth can do to people is you get so stuck and so miserly and you just want more of it in your little like cave and vault. He's a miserable man. Yeah. And I'm like, it makes, it's like a, it makes everyone miserable. It's so weird. Like, you know what I mean? And it's not just what wealth does to people because I think that's often the notion that we get tied up in, but also what poverty does to people. Yeah. So as I mentioned, like he gets this way because he like Scrooge knows what it is to have nothing. To want. And, and to have nothing is just, for so many people, incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Like it's so, it's horrible to that feeling of just everything to be hard, you know, and to not be able to sleep you know, mm-hmm. easily, those things. And one item or one part of the book that I actually haven't seen in other many other Christmas Carol adaptations, it's not in the Muppets one either, is that there are two spirits that accompany the ghost of Christmas present. We see them at the end of his chapter. They're revealed to Scrooge as two children who hide in the robes of the ghost of Christmas present and they are ignorance and want. And, you know, they're the result of, they're the, the spirit's haunting mankind and leading mankind to its doom, essentially. That is, I completely forgot about those two yeah. spirits in the book because they're actually quite shocking when they're he opens shocking, his robe yeah. and you're like, what are you, you know, and he's like, you have to watch out for these. Yeah. And they're two kids, which makes it even creepier because yeah. you're like, what do you mean watch out for these? Yeah. yeah. So the Christmas Carol is very scary. Yeah. It's very prescient. Um, and also just like that darkly funny humour that, you know, Dickens has. Yeah. I love that a few times when he's making these revelations while he's on these journeys with the spirits about like, God, I, I wish I was nice to people. And the ghost of Christmas present is like, why, what's wrong with all the poor houses? 
Tink, we didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Tink, Do you remember when you it? said that horrible thing? And he's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to quote me back to myself. Also, what I kind of love about each spirit, because each of the three spirits do this, is they show him a scene where he's not there and people are talking about him. And that's such a bitch move. Like, that's such a passive aggressive move to be like, oh, you're not here, but people are talking about you. So in the Ghost of Christmas Past, and this is a, um, a, a, I just remembered it, the the Ghost of Christmas Past, the woman, his ex-fiance, she goes on to marry someone else and he there is a scene that he's brought to and it's her with her husband and gaggles of grandchildren. <laughs> and they're like, oh, um, saw Scrooge today. <laughs> the husband comes in and he's like, you'll never guess who I saw today. And the very happy woman who's left Scrooge is like, who? Because Scrooge, oh, he was just there on his own sitting in his little office, horrible office with one piece of coal <laughs> to keep him warm. And she's like, oh, that's so sad. Like, I love her life. I love her life. <laughs> and, and all her children. And then the, 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 it's passed over and then the person's present, it's the nephew in the parlour game. Yeah. There's a Christmas party game. <laughs> it's a whole joke of how like you have to guess who this animal is, this awful animal that no one wants around, and the answer is Scrooge, which I'm like, that's a total bitch yeah. move by this very nice nephew. And who then earlier in the scene, it's just like, ah, oh, he's not that bad. Like he's actually okay, except that he's a fucking rock. <laughs> That nephew is the biggest bitch going. Like to do that in front of a load of people who you've invited round. Then, then the goes to Christmas future. It's people talking about his death. And actually, in the book, it has the most brutal scene, which isn't in the Muppets Christmas Carol, which is two businessmen discussing him die. He's he's died, and these are two businessmen that he wanted to impress. So he was actually quite. Like whenever it's anyone of like richness or wealth or in business, he's the one who tried to really impress them. And they talk about his death and it's so brutal because they're literally like, oh, did you hear he died? Yeah. And then they just move on. Yeah. That's it. They don't even say anything else. Yeah. That's paraphrasing it. That I was like, that's brutal. Like those are people you know. It's not even one. They gave you one sentence and that was it. So those are the scenes that I just find it so funny that the spirits are like oh you want to see what's not-? not only did you do this but let's see what people are saying about yeah. you when you're not even there like, like we have to bring out the big guns <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's it's like the real housewives of Atlanta you're just, <laughs> it's like the reunion episode where you get to see what everyone said about you when you weren't there it's mental <laughs> um, but yeah that's the book I mean Charles Dickens like that's so interesting that he kind of basically invented like a modern yeah, Christmas yeah it is like I think that he now, he did write about what existed at the time and then through the popularity of the Christmas Carol, I, I think that it's lived on. Yeah. But yeah, what a guy. And he loved Christmas. Yeah. That was another thing that I... He had loads of kids, didn't he? He had loads of kids and, yeah. you know, they have said, they said kind of later after he passed and, you know, I don't, I don't think that he was a perfect person. This isn't, you know, we won't get into everything yeah. about Charles Dickens, but like a lot of his kids said that around Christmas time, he was especially giving. He loved to host a party. He loved to go to parties. Like he was, yeah. he, he seemed like he was yeah. like a lot of crack basically, yeah, you know, yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. just like a really bombastic figure in that way. Um, so yeah, so that was why, and as you said, he's written a lot of Christmas stories, you know. A sense that never, beyond, they were never as popular. No. Because weirdly, A Christmas Carol being his first one, that was the one that was like, incredibly popular. Yeah. The ones after that, because actually in the edition of the book I have on the table here, it's all of his Christmas stories. I didn't read past the, the Christmas Carol. Um, but even in the introduction, I found it really interesting because one thing he thought he failed at, I think, a little bit in A Christmas Carol was he 
as you said, is a critic, was a critic of the way we treated people, you know, like mm-hmm. as in like poor people. And he was a critic of like children working and all this sort of stuff. In A Christmas Carol, which is so interesting, he uses it on a personal level. So he's like, Ebenezer Scrooge on a personal level was hoarding money. And so mm-hmm. apparently he was like, I actually let down the fact that the government and a society at large are letting people down. Oh, and yeah. then in following Christmas stories, he tried to write more about that, about yeah. how governments weren't doing their job, about how like as a society, we were treating people badly. Yeah. And they weren't as popular. So I think that was such an interesting thing because it is it's so true. It's like almost like this one person is doing bad. Actually, why are there poor people in the first yeah. place? Why is there such poverty? You know what I mean? So I just find that really interesting. That is really yeah. interesting. Um, but let's get on to... The main the event. Main, the main event! <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Charles tried his best, but no one was going to beat... No one's going to beat Miss Piggy and Kermit, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Oh, listen, here we go. It was a 1992 American Christmas musical, which I always forget it is a musical. Crucial. Crucial. Directed by Brian Henson. Now, if you recognise that second name, <laughs> you will know that Brian Henson is the son of Jim Henson, the creator of The Muppets. Can I just say, Brian Henson, this was his directorial debut. Shut the... Shut up. <laughs> Christmas Carol was his first film. If I was him, I'd drop the mic and walk away. Like, I'm like, you'll never make it better than this. So he and did I, that little ice penguin ice skating scene on the first try. try. <laughs> Insane. Um, and uh, the screenplay was from Jerry Jewell. It is the fourth theatrical film featuring the Muppets. And obviously it was adapted by Charles Dickens. Stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, casting up the wazoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it was the first Muppet film to be produced following the deaths of Muppet creator Jim Henson. So Jim Henson had died not um, too long before this. He passed away in 1990. This was in 1992. Um, and also the performer Richard Hunt. Uh, the film's dedicated to both of them. Um, so... It, so obviously it was the first time as well where someone else was doing Kermit. Wow. Because Jim Henson used to do that. So it's Steve Whitmore took over as Kermit the Frog for Henson. That's insane. Yeah. Because that is to me, I apologise now to Jim Henson and any purists, that is the ultimate Kermit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Bob Crotchet Kermit. Steve Whitmere did an amazing job. <laughs> he actually said, this is in, in um, a conversation with M- Muppet Central. <laughs> Go I was, on. I was just saying, some of our research here is going to be very much from Muppet sites. <laughs> um, Whitmore shared that he had a dream the night before shooting his first scene as Kermit. He said in it, he found Henson, Jim Henson, in a gleaming white hotel lobby and confessed his anxiety about taking the character he so identified with its creator. And this is a quote now from uh, Whitmore. He stopped and there was a thoughtful gesture Jim would do where he would take both of his index fingers and put them under his chin. And he did that and thought and he said, it will pass, Whitmore recalled, which is exactly what Jim would have said. You would have really, you would have really had to know Jim to know this, but that's exactly what he would have said. Then he turned and said, I've really got to run. And he took off out the door. I woke up and I felt great. I remembered this dream and I went in the next day. I did the work and it was smooth. It worked fine. I felt it was great. Just that little bit of encouragement. I think he really showed up for me. 
can I just say, Neve? In the Why? research of this, I think I've like I feel like I'll cheer up more on this episode than any episode. Yeah. Like we've covered deaths, and I'm like the Muppets have got me. <laughs> like, isn't that so lovely? Like, it really oh, was. Wow. Like, I think what I in the research of this film, why I think this film works so much is because everyone involved in this was involved in the show like people and like Brian Henson as well like he grew up on these sets like yes it was his directorial debut but in a way like this has been in the in the running for a long 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 time time. Um, the film was released uh, December 11th 1992 what a time to be alive (laughs) kind of wasn't a smash hit it was very modest box office um, and generally favourable reviews Um, okay so Jerry Joel, I just want to say the head writer, he was he was the writer of the screenplay. He was the head writer of The Muppet Show from seasons two to five, right? Um, and he's been involved in like pretty much all of the Muppet films from the Muppet movie to the Muppets from space. <laughs> According to Lisa Henson, who was Jim Henson's wife and also a major influence in uh, the Muppet sphere, she said so much of the humour, irreverence, caring and heart began with Jerry. He was always, in many ways, the real voice of the Muppets. So this is why I think that was yeah. that the film works so well. So basically following Jim Henson's death right in May 1990, talent agent Bill Haber approached Brian Henson with the idea of making an adapt- adaptation of A Christmas Carol. So he said to Henson, that Christmas Carol is the greatest story of all time. You should do that. Yeah. And he sold the idea. He apparently just told Henson, I've sold the idea to ABC. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you should probably just do it. Your hands are going to tie So, um, Jerry Joel was hired to write the script, obviously, and inserted Charles Dickens in as the narrator. So this is what's so interesting. He makes Gonzo <laughs> Charles Dickens in the film, which it's actually, so I, really, I didn't kind of, I kind of don't know if I ever really thought, like, I know there was always a joke, but then I was like, oh yeah, like, they just make him Charles Dickens. That's so, when you read the book, you're like, actually, it gives it such a new flavour. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so, it's so good. So Jensen stated that Gonzo was chosen because he was the least likely choice to play Charles Dickens, while Rizzo the Rat was added <laughs> to inject some humour and serve as a Greek chorus. Um, Establishment Muppets characters were originally written to portray the ghosts of Christmas past, wow, present and future with various accounts stating that Robin the Frog or Scooter was to be the ghost of Christmas past. Miss Piggy was going to be the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> okay, look, I think it's perfect as it is but I want to see I, the cut where she is the ghost of Christmas present. I can see that so, so clearly. She's actually, like that woman, she's so diverse. She can play anything. <laughs> She's the Meryl Streep of the Muppets, let's be honest. But that's so true. I could totally see that version as well. Um, And Gonzo, before he was written to portray Dickens, was, or Animal. Animal. Animal was going to be the ghost of Christmas. Because he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. He just would have been drumming, pointing towards some sort of like graveyard, being like, it would have been gas. However, the idea was scrapped in favour of new Muppet characters, which uh, would better underline the ominous nature of the ghosts. And yeah. actually, I think that is um, so, so true because I'm going to talk a little bit about how with the Muppets, what's so amazing about the Muppets is because you pick certain Muppets to play certain characters, it gives us an idea of their personality straight away because we know these Muppets. So yeah. like, <laughs> it's so hard to say this one a straight face, but we know these Muppets, man. <laughs> You don't, don't tell me I'm no a Muppet when I see one. Don't come to my door asking 
acting. Like, I don't know these Muppets. Bitch! <laughs> I love that they're new Muppets, though. Not new because they're not recurring after this movie. But I love that they're original Muppets yeah. for the spirits. Yeah, because what the, you're never going to see them again. Yeah. And it means at the moment you see them, you're perfectly like, oh, I know who this is. Um, there were a, di- a bunch of different actors who were considered to play the main character. <laughs> now, there was a, a few English actors. I didn't recognise any of them bar Ron Moody. Do you know the name Ron Moody? No. He played Fagin in <gasps> Oliver Twist, the musical. Oh my He was considered, and God. I have to say, he could have done it. Oh. Like, as in like, that he would have been good. But okay. Michael Caine's perfect, but this guy could, I think, could have done it as well. Little intersect here about Oliver exclamation point, which is the musical. Yeah. This was my favourite movie as a kid. Everyone in my life had to have a copy because no matter what house I went to, I asked to watch it. I watched it every day. I watched it every day. I couldn't pronounce Oliver. So a running joke in my family now because I used to say offer. And I wouldn't say anything else. I would just be like, offer, <laughs> offer, until they would put it on. And then at the end, when they sink into pet? the mud. <laughs> you pet in this house? Offer. Wait, that she's hungry. <laughs> she, needs to, she needs to go for a walk. She needs to be walked. Offer. I hope this is I hope my dad listens to this episode <laughs> they would put it on and then the moment when they all sink into the mud I would have to leave the room oh, but I wouldn't let them skip it <laughs> I'd be like no let it play let it play I, you're, you're I need to leave the room <laughs> I love that you're such a film purist that you're like no 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 there'll be no fast forwarding in this house but I need to leave so I'll just say Oliver the movie best Listen, maybe to be revisited. That's maybe all I'll say. Well, if you had a reaction to that and go tell you the next person who was up for who oh, was up wow. for it, who's going to be the American comedian George Carlin? No. Oh my god. <laughs> was considered. Oh my god. I can see it. I can also see I can it. See I feel it. like it's like a dogma version of <laughs> Muppets Christmas Carol. Would he have done it? I don't know enough about George I... Carlin to think. I don't know would I he? mean I don't even think George Carlin's too cool for the Muppets if the Muppets come calling no. you answer <laughs> if the Muppets come calling you answer <laughs> anyway as we know as we know the role went to Michael Caine who replied when Jim when Brian Henson sorry offered him the role and he said I'm going to and I'm quoting her I'm going to play this movie like I'm working in the with the Royal Shakespeare Company, I will never wink. I will never do anything muppety. <laughs> I'm going to play Scrooge as if in an utterly dramatic role, and there are pup- no puppets around me. <laughs> I kind of love that he even said, <laughs> "Muppety." I will never do anything muppety. Muppety. I mean, that has to be a word, though. I love because that's a famous quote mm-hmm. now from him. At this yeah. point, I think if yeah. you if you love the Muppets, you've heard yeah. that. But it's so good. It's so good, and it's so right that he did that. That's what make it is what makes it. Because yeah. I, I, I do think that a lot of Muppets, when they have like the human character, they yeah. are a bit winky and a yes. bit Muppety. Yeah, and that's great. But this with him as being so focused. <laughs> The whole Lager f- on the interiority <laughs> yeah. of Scrooge. George Carlin could never. <laughs> could never. Absolutely not. Um, he apparently took inspiration from the role, he, and I quote, from Wall Street cheats and embezzlers. I thought they represented a very good picture of meanness and greed. 
Yes. He um, said what he said. Exactly. Uh, production took place um, in Shepperton Studios in England during filming. In order to allow the Muppets and human actors to be in, this, in the shot, floors had to be removed and reinserted with Michael Caine having to walk across narrow plants, planks <laughs> between the Muppets and their performers. Additionally, the buildings um, in, the, in the London street scenes were constructed by hand and diminished in size in order to achieve the appearance that the, street, the streets were relatively longer. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, like, I think it takes something like two people to a Muppet now. So I don't know what it was like even back then. I mean, how many people are actually on wow. hand to do, like, it, anything? It has a lot of group scenes. Oh, yeah. Like, the moment, by the way, I always saw, I think, I think it was, like, for one of the latest Christmas, for one of the latest Muppet films, and I was watching a behind the scenes. Anyway, listen, <laughs> I'm 34. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, that they were saying like basically any time that you see a crowd in a Muppet like a crowd of Muppets you're talking like for each Muppet there's two people so it's like if there's like 20 Muppets there's 40 people underneath them trying to do things like that's so insane <laughs> okay so I want to talk a bit about the cast obviously we talked about the human cast but let's really talk about what we're here for and it's Muppets <laughs> baby let's get Muppety up in this so the narrator is the great Gonzo. Okay, so the great thing about this episode is just I'm like living a dream here. I got to then do research on what Muppet, what they represent and where they came from. Yeah. So the great Gonzo, Gonzo actually is the only Muppet that I don't associate him with anything else other than a Muppet's Christmas Carol. Like I don't know, yeah. you know, in the Muppet world, I don't know these characters that well. Gonzo is described as a good friends with all Muppets. Oh. <laughs> That's a perfect for, for Dickens. Perfect. I know. That's why they picked him as the narrator, I think. And yeah. then, so he's known for his eccentric passion for stunt performance. <laughs> um, aside from his trademark um, enthusiasm for performance art, another defining trait of Gonzo is the ambiguity of his speeches, his species, which is like a running gag. Yeah. So no one knows what Gonzo is. Because everyone else is a Yeah, for the like most there's a rat, there's thing. a frog, this piggy, like people are, or like the chicken, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Like people are like a certain type of animal. Um, so here's another thing, right? In a 1984 Muppets comic strip, Gonzo is seen passing by the gendered bathroom options of men and women and instead walking through a door labelled whatever, which some people have interpreted to mean that Gonzo is non-binary. Oh, great. I love the Muppets. I love the Muppets. Um, on a 2021 episode of Muppet Babies parodying Cinderella, <laughs> Gonzo puts on a glass slipper and transforms into Gonzarella. Gonzo later admits to his fellow Muppets that the princess who came to your ball tonight was me. When Miss Piggy asks why Gonzo did not tell them, Gonzo replies, because you all expected me to look a certain way. I don't want you to be upset with me, but I don't want to do things just because that's the way they've been done either. I want to be me. Great. How can you not like the Muppets? Like, How oh. could anyone not like the Muppets? <laughs> I told you, I nearly cried so I many times crying. doing this stupid research for this. <laughs> now, Rizzo the Rat was obviously the sidekick for Gonzo. <laughs> Rizzo is described as a streetwise and sarcastic rat with a New York, with a New Jersey accent. He hates heights. <laughs> Rizzo, Rizzo's name is derived from Dustin Hoffman's Ratso Rizzo character in Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> this is it's... another thing about the Muppets, right? The layers the to the layers. Muppets is insane. Like, the yeah. Muppets is so smart. Yeah. Like, they have such a depth of knowledge about film and but, TV. And they, like, yeah. But that, but that's also why I think this works so well, the Muppets Christmas yeah. Carol. Because as I said, 
by using Gonzo as the narrator, you're using a character that apparently not everyone knew much about. As yeah. in, like, he's kind of this character, as I said, that it's like weaves through everything, but is everyone's friend. That's a perfect narrator. Rizzo yeah. the Rat, a bit of a comic relief beside him. Yeah. And then the perfect Bob Cratchit, Kermit the Frog. It had to be Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Why? Because Kermit the Frog is a pragmatic everyman protagonist. So, like, He's just a good dude. Yeah. And who's Bob Cratchit? A good dude. <laughs> <laughs> what do we know about Bob Cratchit? That he's a good dude and nothing else. Apparently, Kermit the Frog is kind of um, a soft-spoken alter ego of Jim Henson. That's how he, by a few no sources worries. within the Muppet <laughs> world, he was known as. So the fact that they used Kermit to be Bob Cratchit after Jim Henson died. Like, I can't with this goddamn film. Like Kermit again, he's sort of like in a lateral leadership role in the Muppets. He's surrounded by all these zany, crazy characters all around him, but he is just the everyman in the middle of it. Henson's agent, Bernie Brillstein, stated straightforwardly that Kermit was Jim. No. Now let's go on to the I know that we've had half a glass of Prosecco each. (laughs) But I'm so close to tears. I know. And replying to people's Instagram stories. (laughs) With you look great, babes. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> Reach out anytime. Um, Miss Piggy as Emily Cratchit. And this is the last bit of casting of the Muppets that I'm going to talk about. But again, right, Emily Cratchit in the book is a bit uh, spicy. She oh, she is. Opinion. Oh, she is. That's what I mean. Bob oh, yeah. is like, Bob's like, oh, to Mr. Scrooge, like he sponsored this feast. She's like, what fucking feast? <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge, nothing. Yeah, she's like, I fucking have a bird here for like my 12 kids. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Like, I love that because someone has to be like, Bob, get your head out your arse. We've got a sick kid here. You know <laughs> and even when, like, Scrooge is observing their dinner, he's like, that pudding's a bit small now for how many is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just like, surely they should have got something more. The man's never bought a pint of milk in his life. So not only is, like, he not paying them enough to have a proper feast, he's also like, stay to your feast. <laughs> stay to your son. <laughs> with his crutch and you're like yeah okay but like it's hard Um, (laughs) Miss Piggy is notable for her temperamental (laughs) diva superstar personality tendency to use French phrases in her speech and the practice of karate (laughs) the character is also known for her on again off again relationship with Kermit the Frost which never ends permanently in a 1979 interview with the New York Times performer Frank Oz outlines Miss Piggy's biography and he said, she grew up in a small town, most likely in Iowa. Her father died when she was young and her mother wasn't very nice to her. She had to enter beauty contests to survive. She had a lot of vulnerability, which she has to hide because of her need to be a superstar. <laughs> I am caving in on myself. What? Yeah. First of all, yes, yeah. that is, you're so, like... Frank, that is Piggy. You're so right. Yeah. Oh my God. I get every beat of that makes complete sense to me. Like every beat of it. Well, very funny was during development of <laughs> during development of the Muppet Show, Frank Oz again assigned a hook for each Muppet he performed. Yeah. He said, Miss Piggy's hook was a truck driver wanting to be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> says a lot of the characters he portrayed like Fozzie Bear or Animal are kind of two-dimensional characters and he said Miss Piggy is one of the few Muppets to be entirely realised in three dimensions. Wow. Now, so 
I just think, again, Miss Piggy, so genius to have her as Emily Cratchit. And then also in the film, like, she has two daughters who are basically smaller versions of her. The, com- the comic timing of those <laughs> scenes where, like, the girls are the pigs and the boys are the frogs. <laughs> and Rizzo the rat is, like, running on this bleeding goose. The goose. And, like, it's just that whole thing of, like, without needing things to be explained because it's a kid's film so it can be very hard sometimes not to over explain things Mm -hmm. you know like just in case you had the brilliance of the narrator doing the explaining that needed to be done which by the way 95% apparently around that of um, Gonzo's dialogue is straight from the book is straight from the novella now Ratch Rizzo kind of adds stuff in then do you know what I mean like you know there there were no jelly beans in the book exactly (laughs) no jelly beans Um. And then what was so great was without then needing to kind of over-explain the characters because Kermit the Frog almost is like, I don't know, Ronald McDonald. Like the guy, you immediately know who this guy is. You're, that's the nice guy. Miss Piggy's going to be a bit sassy. Great. These Perfect. are the characters. Yeah. Don't need to explain anymore. Um, so as I said, 95% of what Gonzo says is basically prose from Charles Dickens. Uh, Brian Henson said um, early on, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, Jerry Jewell was so in love with the book that he was like, I want to put in a character that is Charles Dickens. Then we thought, well, who's the least likely? And also Gonzo came up and that pretty much everything Gonzo says is straight out of the book. Um, and then we threw in like 5% of little asides and quips here and there. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, of all the things there about it coming straight from the book, that's kind of it. I mean, really, they they keep, again, like kind of everything else, they keep fairly faithful to mm-hmm. the story. One thing I, I notice they do change is like, they don't have, say, the his fiance. they don't have her like older with her new, that yeah. heartbreaking scene with her new husband being like, don't you feel sorry for that loser? Um, <laughs> and I find as well, the puppets that they use for the ghosts to be, ve- to be brilliant. So like, yeah, the child. I love to talk about them because they're the design of those is absolutely yeah. ingenious. Because first of all, the the ghost of Christmas past is a very difficult character yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to try and capture. Yeah. They literally describe in the book of just like constantly changing mm-hmm. uh, form, uh, so it never looks like any kind of fixed being. It's also uh, simultaneously looks very old and very young. When I was a kid, I remember finding it a little bit freaky. Oh, it is freaky. They have they have these tiny little hands that kind of hold and like kind of the porcelain doll hands. Porcelain yeah. doll hands, yeah, totally. Um, but really, like, really interesting. Really interesting that it's a muppet because it looks so ethereal. Real yeah. and flowy. Um, and then the ghost of Christmas present. Oh, the ghost of Christmas present. Can I just say, the ghost of Christmas past, because obviously there's like CGI, has held up pretty well. Really well. See, this it's is still... something that I'm like, I think I, I'm just, obviously, you know, the team behind the Muppets are very good at set design. Like, that's always what they're going to be amazing <laughs> at. But that has held up extremely well. Mm-hmm. And then the ghost of Christmas present. Now, I just want a little, we Try and bring her up all the time, but me and Neve have someone in common, which is my little sister Anna, <laughs> one of Neve's very close friends. Um, and I have always wanted as a Halloween costume is <laughs> for Anna, who's shorter than me, to be Scrooge, and for me to be the ghost of Christmas Present. <laughs> but I can never figure out how to do it. That's not going to cost thousands. <laughs> Because you'd have to do it so right. But you'd for have it to, to get be, the face, yeah. you'd have to get the whole thing for people the wreath to get of it. Holly, yeah. like the, the velvet robes. I know me better, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Grace is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the Ghost of Christmas Present is utterly fantastic. And I think there's something, what I love about it, even in the illustration in the book that I mentioned earlier that I'm 
was reading from they have a lot of illustrations and he's basically described as a massive person yeah. and a person of gregarious very yeah. funny and loud and I think there's something about that where there's some comfort for me in there being like a big happy ghost yeah. you know what I mean and like this, this is and I think there's something about Christmas which we kind of in a weird way do celebrate the bigger things in life yeah. and like there's something about the loudness being allowed and being a source of fun yeah that is really nice and I will say like for the present the fact that like the ghost of Christmas future which is only something I kind of realized when watching it this time around is so dark and the ghost of Christmas present is so bright yeah and it's only because it's just the way we decide to see things Wow, so yeah. the Ghost of Christmas Past is sad and fun and like nostalgic. The Ghost of Christmas Present is utterly light and yeah. breezy if we decide to view things that way. And then the Ghost of Christmas Future is just all anxiety. And there's something about that that I was like, oh, wow, that really f- <laughs> I felt so right to me. It, yeah. Things can be bright if you decide to see them that way. You know, like move your life into the light sort of yeah. thing. And there was something about that. But, but the present is, again, dies off very quickly. You know what I mean? Like it's... It only lasts for that moment. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then that ghost of Christmas is yet to come with the big heavy robes that are almost like stone. Like they're carved from stone and that kind of moves with the robes. I just like... Oh, that design is just absolutely incredible. Well, what's so funny is anything that you saw, by the way, and uh, even in saying that, right, this was one of the things that came up. The ghost of Christmas... um, the movements of all of the different ghosts are like very hard to achieve. Um, but say like the go- uh, Kermit's one actually, this is a very famous one, was a major production. Like so yeah. there's one bit where you see Kermit walking. You actually never see Kermit walking. You never ever. see his legs. When you see his legs, it's <laughs> so tiny Tim, yeah. With tiny Tim on top of him, you're like, excuse me. It's like, you know, after the pandemic where you only saw people on Zoom from the shoulders <laughs> up and then you're like, you have a body. Like, so to achieve the tis the season shot of Kermit walking, with Tiny Tim on his shoulder, Brian Hedson had to employ 10 puppeteers. Oh my God. A rotating barrel covered <gasps> in snow was positioned beneath Kermit's feet to allow the natural like gait. If you pay close attention, you can actually see it in action, apparently. Um, behind there was a blue screen and various puppeteers working with the characters' limbs and mouths. And they were swapped for like lit up um, London homes in post-production. Oh my God. It's insane. Then, no wonder the economy was so much better. Than- <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts of Christmas past movements are described as aquatic. So the spirit that um, guides Scrooge to into his childhood was eerie kind of floating. Yeah. Physicality. To achieve this, puppeteers were submerged with the puppet in a tank of baby oil backed by a green screen to record the performance. However, the cost of a tank of baby oil Soon stacked up. <laughs> As new parents will know, um, that baby oil ain't cheap. Going it's, into Tesco every day, like, another crate, please. <laughs> How many babies did you have? Um, pushing the filmmakers to switch to water. Oh. Through, though the puppet, the rod puppets, glues and paints um, interacted poorly with the water, they got the shots they needed, basically. Um, so yeah, it was just like, Things like that that I wanted to highlight wow. when you do something of this production. Not only is it like, I think, really good adaptation. Like you have in like, they use the mices as the very poor, the poorest of the poor. Yeah, no cheeses for, for us, mices. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that they have talking food. Oh, <laughs> and you're no. like, there's a hint of cannibalism here, but okay. Um, my niece for the longest time couldn't pronounce my name. So she used to call me Meese. <laughs> 
I love your childhood stories this episode. This is amazing. Um, That's the Prosecco. <laughs> Um, I also love, you know, the very famous line, uh, boy, what day is this? And <laughs> it's Christmas Day. So the character, the Muppet, that is the little boy is Bean Bunny. Okay. Oh, so Be- <laughs> Bean Bunny, who was the singy, ragged, fluffy thing we see as <laughs> a victim of Scrooge's outrage, is actually a bit of a team in joke for the Muppets community. So on the DVD extra, Brian Henson said, in the Muppet company, we love to hate Bean Bunny. <laughs> He's basically always this character that's just bottom of the barrel and treated like shit. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, listen. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. The reception of this incredible film was mixed. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, uh, it was expected to be like kind of Walt Disney Pictures big banner film of the year. It came it opened like in sixth place apparently um so the Muppets Christmas Carol it was coming up against competition from Home Alone 2 Lost in New York which yeah. I think was always going to be the blockbuster yeah. and Disney's Aladdin so I think it just came out at that certain time and I have to say I, I have a theory Christmas films don't become Christmas films until, until years, years later because it's what you watch on VHS yeah, and it's what you watch and repeat. There's something about, and I think the same for Christmas songs for some reason. Yeah. Christmas songs don't become classics or something you love until years later yeah. or like a few years later. Like, I just think that when something comes out, we don't appreciate it. And then it takes a few years for some reason for Christmas nostalgia to almost catch up. And then we're like, I so love right. this. Yeah. Christmas, like the ghosts of Christmas past, is about nostalgia. Oh, shut up, Dave. <laughs> But there's even like, I'm thinking of, because a lot of like pop stars now do Christmas albums. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, I think Ariana Grande did one. I remember hearing the song be like, what? Like, what? No. Yeah. And now it's like part of my Christmas, yeah. you know, it's in the mix now because I've heard it at pubs at yeah. like 1 a.m. We're all being kicked out and screaming it. You know, like yeah. everything has to be built into memory for Christmas to count. And yeah. uh, my partner always says, you have to be really careful what you do around Christmas time because if you do something around Christmas time, all of a sudden it's a tradition and you yeah. have to do it like that every year. <laughs> so buy, no more buying of Chabaret eggs. Fabergé eggs. Chabaret eggs. Chabaret. Clearly eggs. someone's never bought a Fabergé egg. <laughs> One Prosecco in. Listen, um, Rotten Tomatoes, the film, currently has an approval rating of seventy approval rating of 75%. That's pretty good. I don't Not really good trust enough. Rotten Tomatoes. I know, but even say like uh, Janet Maslin reviewing for the New York Times summarised the film as not a, not a great show of wit or tunefulness. And the NG's... <laughs> objectively uh, yeah, not true. I, I mean, objectively <laughs> not true. I, will, I want to mention very, very quickly... Paul Williams was um, composed the music for this film. Paul Williams, an American uh, composer, singer, songwriter. Paul Williams. Um, and he also wrote um, the love theme for Barbara Streisand's A Star Is Born. Um, um, as well as, uh, there was another one. Oh, sorry. As well as the song, the score and lyrics for Bugsy Malone. So he, I like the, he has many by the way like his his like Wikipedia page is so long that I'm like intimidated but um, <laughs> you know it's just that like again I think one thing that isn't talked about enough is how the the tunes are bops the like they're bops amazing, amazing in yeah. this film and they are also like pretty classic yeah like Christmas songs like there's only one more sleep till Christmas <laughs> oh my god also the at the end of that song when Kermit looks up um, there is a shooting star 
apparently they put these in all the films now all the Muppet films and apparently it was a little tribute to Jim Henson I, I couldn't I just saw that as a fact but I actually couldn't find any more information on it yeah. I just want everyone to know because obviously it was the first film after Jim Henson um, okay taglines again <laughs> not really a tagline for this film so I kind of had to just find what it was said so the tagline is the Muppets present their own touching rendition of Charles Dickens classic tale and I said Charles Dickens wishes he could write a character as good as Miss Piggy <laughs> So since it's our last episode of the year and it was a very special Muppets episode, we thought we'd like to finish out the season mm-hmm. by looking at some of the movies that we've covered this season and recasting them oh my God. if they were redone <laughs> as Muppet movies. <laughs> this is so, such a good idea. going back to the start, okay, Gone Girl. You have to keep one human actor and cast the rest as Muppets. <gasps> okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a hard one because, like, Miss Piggy as Amy is such a natural fit and it's so, so hilarious. And then keeping Ben off like the same. <laughs> However, I would, argue, would <laughs> I would argue for a world where Rosamund Pike remains as Amy yeah. and everyone else is Muppets. <laughs> And she plays it exactly the same. She would be so angry. (laughs) She plays it completely straight. She murders Gonzo, who is standing in for Neil Patrick Harris. Oh my God. But you know who's standing in for Ben Affleck? Rizzo the Rat. (laughs) So you have Rizzo the Rat as Nick. Yeah. Miss Piggy as Detective Boney. Yes! Yes! Who doesn't buy Rosamund Pike shit for a second? <laughs> Natural enemies. Um, do we cast? Do we get Kermit in there? Um. Oh, who could Kermit be? I feel like maybe Kermit is like a gender swapped Margot, kind of the straight man, the every man. <laughs> yeah, or Margot, or um, Miss Piggy's detective uh, partner. Oh yeah, <laughs> the guy, just an everyman guy. <laughs> he just sort of is like, that's terrible. What happened to you, Rosamund Pike? <laughs> Because hashtag Kermit please women. Um, all right. Okay. So Shutter Island. What are we thinking? Ooh, I think you just have to keep Leo and just like go from there. Leo is, stays the same. I think Kermit is the chief medical guy yes. whose name I can't remember. Yes. Dr. Collie. Yeah. He is like the head of the institution. And then Gonzo. You're like, Leo, what are you doing? <laughs> We try to help them. We try to help. We try to help everybody um, here. They're going to do a lobotomy. <laughs> Gonzo is Mark Ruffalo, I think, as the partner. That's very good. Yeah. Monster plays all of the other insane people. <laughs> a combination. I'd love the whole time as well. Leonardo DiCaprio's trying to convince everyone that they're all Muppets. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, then we have yeah we've monster paying all the male inmates and then you know just like the chickens <laughs> everyone else <laughs> and then the chicken. Beaker and Honeydew is just the collection of other doctors who are mildly threatening around oh, the hospital what? you know who played Jacob and Marley the way they did in the Muppets Carol what yeah. was the name the two, the two elderly men Statler and Waldorf Statler and Waldorf like who are they and they're just like the German <laughs> German. <laughs> yeah, the German. You're German, doctor. They're just like shouting abuse at Leo the entire time. 
I can see it. Like, there is potential. Yeah. Okay, okay, so next we have... Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada. I mean... Speaks for its second <laughs> self. There's no need to even pause. Meryl out, piggy in. in. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But who do we keep then? Anne. Anne. Yeah. yeah, straight straight woman Anne. So- I think Kermit plays Stanley Tucci. <laughs> I think Sam the Eagle plays Stanley Tucci. I don't know. I think that Sam the Eagle is too uptight. Okay, okay. I can see it. I can see it. But I think that ultimately... And then Camilla the Chicken is Emily. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, Twilight. So... I I, I can't even envision a Twilight moment. No, I think think Kirsten Stewart has to stay Kirsten Stewart. Maybe they both stay. I like the idea. And Edward Cullen, I think, is Miss Piggy. As in a gender swap. Oh my god! She has the ego. Um, um, Sam the eagle as Bella's dad. Yes. Chief Swan. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think the Swedish chef should be <laughs> Bella's dad. You can't go over my daughter. You're ninety. Um, and finally, Fight Club. Okay, so Fight Club now. This is this is a good one because so, all the Muppets are men and all the Fight Club are men. I think Fight Club Kermit is um what's the Edward the, Orton, the, yeah the, the narrator. narrator. Who is? I think Brad stays. Brad stays, and then Miss Piggy is, is Marla. Marla? <laughs> Sorry, but I can the famous shot of her with the jaunty hat, smoking and the sunglasses. Miss Piggy <laughs> would <laughs> eat that up. She, oh, Absolutely, that is. And my then favorite. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I think we nailed it. Grace, thank you for an amazing first season of The Jump. Thank you for an amazing first season and thank you to Bison Studios for having us recording. We love you, Gillian. (laughs) And then also, we will have a season two. We'll let you know when that's coming out. But uh, yeah, for now, thanks for listening. Follow, subscribe, like, all the things. All the bits. All the little bits. And Merry Christmas. (laughs) And a Happy New Year. God bless us, everyone. everyone.